Recently, for my real-life job, I had the opportunity of traveling internationally. I actually ended up in Colombia visiting a client with whom I'm working. And one of the things that I love about visiting other countries is learning about their road signs. For example, Australia has a yield sign that actually states give way instead of yield. Because that's what you're supposed to do when you're yield, right? You're supposed to give way to other cars that are coming in. The sign actually reads give way. In Spain, some of their stop signs actually read alto, which direct translation means high, but as in high like altitude, right? But for whatever reason, alto also means to stop. Now in Colombia, it caught me a little off guard because a lot of their stop signs say pare, which is the conjugated form and command of to stop, parar, right? Pare. What really, though, is important about all of these signs is actually their shape, because the shapes are the same independent of country. So, for example, if you see a red octagon, it wouldn't matter what it said on it. A red octagon to us signals that we need to stop, right? Or if we see a red upside down triangle, it wouldn't matter what was written on it. That red upside triangle means that we need to yield, give way, or, you know, look for something to be more cautious. Signs actually help us understand how to proceed. So knowing how to proceed allows us to be better informed and to make better decisions. So knowing this, the Savior provided his disciples and subsequently you and I with an awesome commitment prior to his crucifixion. Today, we're going to spend a lot of time in Joseph Smith Matthew, partially because it is a fantastic translation or fulfillment of that great article of faith that states, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. And so here we're going to use Joseph Smith translation, which Joseph Smith Matthew actually encompasses the end of Matthew 23 and all of Matthew chapter 24. So that's really, we're looking at Matthew 24, but we're going to use the insertions that Joseph Smith had all the way through. So it's just easier to go to Joseph Smith Matthew. That said, in verse number one, the Savior gives us this promise. For I say unto you that ye shall not see me henceforth and know that I am he of whom it is written by the prophets until ye shall say, Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord, in the clouds of heaven and in all the holy angels with him. Then understood his disciples that he should come again on the earth after he was glorified and crowned on the right hand of God. So that's what we think about, right? When we think about the second coming, most of us envision the Savior coming, big clouds, lots of angels, the trumpets, or very typical painting where he's in like the white robe and he got the trumpeters and and all the things, right? So the question really is, and I love that his disciples ask this, is, well, how will we know when you're going to come again? And so they say that in verse number four, you got to love it. And Jesus left them and went upon the Mount of Olives. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be, which thou hast said concerning the destruction of the temple and the Jews. And what is the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world or the destruction of the wicked, which is the end of the world. So I love that they just straight up ask him like, okay, great. Tell us what it is that we need to be looking for. Well, what I love is that the Savior actually at this time is alluding to a couple of different things. We have to remember that he has just stated regarding the temple in Jerusalem that the temple can be destroyed and in three days he'll restore it. And 
the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, everybody in the leadership of the church takes that as to mean that Christ is actually going to destroy the actual temple there in Jerusalem, when actually he is talking about his body, the temple, and how he, as the Son of God, will be destroyed and will, will rise again in three days. But he is also, at that same time, talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. So he gives an allusion here, if you will, to what they need to think about here closely to them in time. For example, if I were in my scriptures following along, I would want to block verses 5 through 12 here in Joseph Smith Matthew. Take a look at what he says. So here's what he's saying to them to watch for. So he says in verse number 5, Take heed that no man deceive you. So we're not supposed to be deceived. Of what though? Verse 6, For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So we're going to have some false Christs. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, this is talking specifically about the Jewish nations, how they would be afflicted, killed, and hated by all nations. So you have the destruction of Babylon, you have the scattering of the Jews. People keep coming in and out of there, destroying it. We know that it's going to get completely destroyed. Uh, Romans coming in. We have people actually totally destroy areas of the temple. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse eight. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Offense, betrayal, and hatred. And verse nine. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Verse 12. And when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, that's just fun to say, abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, then shall ye stand in holy places, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about abomination of desolation because this is going to come up a lot when we're talking about signs of the times. So if something is an abomination, it's a thing that causes disgust or hatred. And desolation, you already know that that's a state of complete emptiness or destruction. So in other words, an abomination of desolation would be complete destruction of a thing that causes disgust or hate. That was a whole mouthful, right? Thing that causes disgust or hate. We have this really cool guy. His name was Marion G. Romney. He was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And he stated the following about the abomination of desolation. Here we go. Quote. You all know the sequence, how the Jews carried through their awful plot and crucified the Son of God and how thereafter they continued to fight against his gospel. You remember, too, the price they paid, how in 70 AD the city fell into the hands of the Romans as a climax of a siege in which the historian Josephus tells us there were a million one hundred thousand people killed and tens of thousands were taken captive to be afterwards sold into slavery or to be slain by wild beasts or in gladiatorial combat for the amusement of Roman spectators. All of this destruction and dispersion of the Jews would have been avoided had the people accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and had their hearts changed by it. Close quote. Now, I like this quote because it alludes to a couple of things that we can easily look back to in history. Again, abomination of desolation. He talks there about the Romans in 70 AD. And did they ever do something terrible to the temple to show their hatred and disgust for the Jews as one of the rulers took into the temple a statue of Zeus, mounted that bad boy in the temple, and then sacrificed a pig. 
inside the temple to the god Zeus. Now, remembering that pigs, if you are a kosher Jew, right? Orthodox Jew, a pig just of and of itself is offensive. You don't eat the meat. You don't mess with the pig. And here the pig is being sacrificed inside their temple to Zeus. Basically, you have this Roman leader, you know, he's, he's giving them the what, what, and defaming their sacred place. So what are the saints then doing when all of this is happening? What I love is that they've been given counsel if you paid attention. So you remember back in verse number five, they were told to take heed. When we take heed, we pay attention or we notice something. In verse 11, they were told to be steadfast. Steadfast means that I'm unwavering or I cannot be overcome by something else. And then finally, in verse number 12, they were told to stand in holy places. So those that were doing those things would have had a different outcome than those that were not. Remember, Elder Romney tells us what? I love the last part of that quote. The dispersion of the Jews would have been avoided had the people accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and had their hearts changed by it. Here we are, though, in the year 2023. And the Savior said, there's going to be signs for a second coming. But one of the things that we have to understand about the Savior's second coming is it is not a singular event. Or in other words, the Savior's second coming began, if you will, when he came. He's come in a sacred grove to a boy named Joseph Smith. In 1820, he appeared with God the Father. He also appeared again to the Kirtland Temple post-dedication. Um, he continues to visit his prophets. One of my favorite stories about that is with President Snow. And I know the exact spot in the Salt Lake Temple, so I'll be glad when it's all put back together again so I can be in that exact spot again. But as he was leaving the, the celestial room with one of his granddaughters, he paused and he said to her granddaughter, I want you to know that this is a place where your grandfather has spoken with the Savior. We know through modern revelation in the Doctrine and Covenants that the Savior will come to the righteous saints to a great and last sacrament meeting at Adam on Diamond. And then finally, Christ will come to all the world, the world in the big cloud and the robe and all the things, right? So that's the one that we're going to talk about, this great coming to all the world. And so if I want to be prepared, I love that he outlines for me then things here in Joseph Smith, Matthew, Matthew 24. He outlines for us very specifically things we need to be looking for. So let's take a look. Joseph Smith Matthew, verse number 22, modern day. What do I need to be looking for? For in those days there shall also arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if possible, they shall deceive the very elect, who are the elect according to the covenant. Now we get some really powerful things going on inside of this verse. We get the idea of false Christs, which, by the way, I met a gentleman on my mission that when I asked him what his name was, he told me that he was Jesus Christ. That was an interesting conversation. And so then he asked me what I was doing. And part of me wanted to be really snarky and say, well, if you're Jesus Christ, you should know what I'm doing because I wear your name. But I I didn't say that. Instead, I said, oh, I'm I'm out here teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he thanked me. Thank you for teaching people about me. So it was interesting to meet that individual. So I would tell us to watch out for false Christ. False prophets, definitely we could talk a lot about false prophets, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but but clearly if I just say the name uh, Warren Jeffs and we'll move on. Then we also have an opportunity though that he says here to look for great signs, wonders, insomuch that if possible, 
They shall deceive the very elect, which poses an important question. Who are the elect? Well, he says the elect according to the covenant, meaning that those of us that have made covenants with a loving heavenly father potentially could be deceived, which poses the question, well, what are we doing that would cause us to be deceived? I assert that maybe what we're not doing is paying attention, being steadfast and standing in holy places, right? Remember, he told us to take heed, be steadfast and stand in holy places. Well, verse 23 and 28 give us another sign. And this one, you're going to totally go, yep, we're living it. 23, behold, I speak these things unto you for the elect's sake and... You also shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all I have told you must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So we're going to have wars and rumors of wars, and you got to love him. Don't be troubled. And then you jump into verse number 28, and he says, And they shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So just in case you didn't hear of enough wars and rumors of wars, there's going to be more. Well, what does that really look like? I'm going to totally own. Preparing for this, I kind of went down a rabbit hole. And I started digging into a bunch of different statistics. So today I'm going to share some statistics with you. This actually comes from the wisevoter.com country rankings. It's a big old long website. But I was wondering and wanting to know how many countries were currently in some type of war or conflict. And I found the following information, quote, overall, there are 32 countries currently in conflict and the types of conflict vary widely. While the severity and duration of these conflicts differ, They all have significant impacts on the affected population and can result in a high number of casualties as well as humanitarian crisis. Now, I, for one, say every morning, Alexa, what's the news? And I cannot think of a time when Alexa hasn't in the past year plus said something about a war somewhere, whether it be the war in Ukraine or conflicts that are happening over in the Middle East or China's preparing to do a what what or what's going on in North Korea, or did you think that maybe Japan might want to? And all of these things keep coming up, right? Well, why is that? Because, well, in verse number 29, we read, Behold, I speak for my elect's sake, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, as a side, diverse places means unusual. I decided, again, rabbit hole, I wanted to understand, okay, famines. So talk to me about famines. Went in and took a look at the actionagainsthunger.org, beautiful site. And we learned this about famine. Quote, hunger affects 828 million people, impacting children and women worse and first. Close quote. Now, in case you're wondering how many is 828 million, the U.S. total population in 2021 was 331.9 million. So 828 million would be 2.5 times the entire population of the United States is currently being affected by hunger. So let's talk pestilence. Because he says in verse 29, kingdom against kingdom, there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes. So pestilence, I have to totally own growing up and well into my adult life, I thought that pestilence was actually talking about like a really bad case of, you know, bugs and stuff, creepy crawlies, things coming to get us, maybe an infestation of, I don't know, scorpions or something. Well, it could be that. Another definition for pestilence is a fatal epidemic disease, which 
in 2020, I think we have a very strong example of that being COVID-19. Now, earthquakes, how about this one? Earthquakes in the years 2020 to 2022, there were 45,859 earthquakes of a 4.0 magnitude on the Richter scale. 45,000. I had no idea that there were that many earthquakes. Since January 1st, 2023, there have been 4,672 earthquakes. So, famine, pestilence, quakes. Are you paying attention? Verse 30. And again, because iniquity shall abound and the love of men shall wax cold. Iniquity abound and the love of men wax cold. You want to be different? Then love your neighbor. You want to be different? Be kind when driving. You want to be different? Be patient. We live in a world where men quickly rise up against men. I mean, recently here in the United States, right? We had a a young boy trying to retrieve his sister who knocks on a door and simply gets shot for knocking on the wrong door. Iniquity abound, the love of men wax cold. Verse 31. And again, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations. And then shall the end come, or in other words, the destruction of the wicked. Now, I don't know about you, but I love watching what happens with missionary work inside of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because I love to watch how it fluctuates. For example, I was serving as a missionary back in the early 90s. We crested over 60,000 missionaries. We were excited about that. And then there was a bit of a drop. And then they changed the age. Oh my gosh. And then things went crazy again. And then there was a pandemic. And now all of a sudden missionary work begins to surge again. Well, I decided to do a little bit of searching in this rabbit hole and found out that members of the church are found in more than 160 countries and territories. And that as members of the church, we speak more than 178 languages. Now, in case you're wondering, well, what does that look like? There are 195 countries in the world. So we are found in more than 160. There are 195 uh, with 60 plus disputed territories or dependent um, areas. So really, something amazing is happening, right? When it comes to missionary work, not to mention confidently missionary work is going on on the other side. We jump into verse number 32. And remember, we talked a little bit about this, verse 32, and again shall the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet be fulfilled. So this one has multiple fulfillings. And what is that abomination of desolation? It's a complete destruction of things that cause us disgust or hate. It's going to be some big A destruction going on. Now, I don't know about you, when you start talking about all of that and you put it all together, it feels kind of heavy and makes you a little bit like, well, Man, it's great to be in the last days. Sheesh. But the reality is, is that the Savior at the same time is telling us some things that you and I need to do. You got to love verse number 23. Did you catch what I read there? I purposely just let it hang. In the very middle of the verse, so he says there, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then he says, see that ye be not troubled, 
for I have told you this must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So he's telling us straight up, the very first thing we're supposed to be is we're not supposed to be troubled. But why? Why shouldn't we be troubled? The biggest reason I testify is that we have a prophet who is preparing us. And when we follow the counsel of the living prophet, we're safe. Safe in the aspect of we know and understand what we need to prepare for and how to prepare. For example, you'll remember with me when the Come Follow Me first came out. Some of my friends were actually part of the original pilot, and then it got rolled out to us as a church as a whole. And who would have thought when we first started this four years ago that what was really going to happen is we would all need to have home church. Now, I'm not saying that President Nelson knew that there was going to be a pandemic, but clearly he knew that there was a need for us as a church to move the way that we think and the way that we need to be prepared. And really, if you want to see some optimistic people, may I please point you to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles? They are like the most optimistic bunch of guys I think I've ever seen. Now, do they understand that wickedness abounds and that the love of men wax cold and that there are wars and rumors of wars? Guys, they know that two of them are going to lay in the streets in Jerusalem before the great second coming, and they're still cheerful. So you and I, we need to not be troubled. If we're looking to and following the brethren, verse number 30, and again, because iniquity shall abound and the love of men shall wax cold. Here's what we're supposed to do. Saints, he that shall not be overcome, the same will be saved. Now, if there's one thing that the pandemic has really taught me personally and how we see it playing out a lot is that it has increased anxiety or the feeling of being overcome, that I just can't do it, that I can't move forward, that I'm stuck. When in actuality, one of my favorite quotes from my dad is a team of two always wins when one of the members is the savior. Now, I love that he doesn't say it's not going to be hard or I'm not going to, as my husband says, you are such a pull your boots up, bootstrap, pull up kind of gal. And I am. But why? Because I know that when I am on the side of the Savior, I'll be okay. I testify that you and I can be okay when we're on the side of the Savior. Verse number 37. And whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. For the Son of Man shall come, and he shall send his angels before him with the great sound of a trumpet, And they shall gather together the remainder of his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I love this verse because he tells us that we're supposed to do something with his word. We're supposed to treasure it up. If you remember back in, I don't know, 2 Nephi 32, we're told to feast upon the words of Christ. For the words of Christ will tell us all things that we should do. If we want to truly understand and be prepared, we've got to treasure Christ's word. By treasuring his word, that's when we're not deceived. When we go seeking in other ponds or pools of information, of course we can get deceived because Satan wants to deceive you. Men are laying to deceive you. There's a reason that when the 116 pages were lost, they are lost. We didn't retranslate them so that somebody couldn't say and say, just joking. Deception is part of Satan's plan. He's the great deceiver. But I love the back end of that verse when he says, they shall gather together. 
I testify that there is strength in numbers and staying gathered with believers. 46 through 48. And what I say unto one, I say unto all men, watch therefore, for you know not at what hour or Lord come. But know this, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to have been broken up, but would have been ready. Therefore be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. They compare this in the scriptures. This is also compared to the flood of Noah. Like, can you imagine the time of Noah with me for a minute? I absolutely love this story. I really want to understand how he got all of the animals. You recognize that the Bible, it was voted on, right? On what books would be in the Bible, the Nicene Creed and the conference that they had. And like, we'll have this book and this book. Well, one of the books, the book of Jasher, which didn't make it on the vote, talks about how the parent of the animals brought their babies and presented them to Noah, which that makes a lot of sense to me, right? If you had like cubs of all kinds of things and babies of all kinds of things, that is a lot better to me than like, I don't know, full blown lion and a big old giraffe and couple ton elephant and all the things, right? So what I love about this though, is you've got to remember that the people never seen rain because remember a mist had come up from the ground and that's how it had been watered. So when Noah is preaching and teaching them to repent because it's going to rain, people are like, whatevs, there's not going to be stuff falling from the sky. That is not how this is going to go down. You can imagine their surprise when it started to rain. And I love verse 42 here of this same chapter in Joseph Smith, Matthew 1. He says, for it shall be with them as it was in the days which were before the flood. For until the day that Noah entered into the ark, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the son of man be. It's going to catch us by surprise. But it doesn't have to. If we're actually taking the time to watch. So it brings us to the go and do. So will you go? And watch for signs, taking heed, paying attention to the world in which you live and what is actually happening. I love that I had a conversation with a friend from another faith who, as we were talking, he said, one of my favorite things to do is to watch what's happening in world government. And then he began explaining like all these different things happening inside of world government. And he said, you know, that just means that it's getting closer to when Christ will come. Loved it. Because we're not the only ones out here that believe this. Christians unite. And be watching. Will you go and study the recent council found in general conference so that you are not troubled? Will you go and treasure the words of Christ by reading the Book of Mormon daily so as not to be deceived? I know that when we watch for signs, paying attention, studying and acting on the recent council of living prophets and making the Book of Mormon a part of who we are, not just something we read, that we can be happy, be not troubled, find peace and not be overcome, and know truth and light. Watch, be ready, study and treasure, go and do. Be prepared. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Go and Do podcast. 
We would love it if you would leave us a review and click follow where you listen to your podcasts. We'd also appreciate hearing from you. Feel free to email us at thegoanddopodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Instagram at goanddopodcast. The Go and Do Podcast is created by me, Candace Shoup, and produced by Cammie Fisher. We love having you follow along and look forward to hearing from you.